your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. This morning in Bible study, we spent time mainly in chapter 1. We didn't go through all six days of creation, but we did at least look at the concept of how God took a world that was uninhabitable and empty and, first of all, made it habitable by creating light and a firmament space and dry land and vegetation so that then he could take and plant a sun and a moon and stars and birds to fly and fish to swim and animals to live on the land and then humanity. So God took this formless and empty world, gave it form, and then gave it a population of creation. In order to understand the concept of the Sabbath, which we're going to look at today, this idea of resting, I think we need to understand a couple of the theological underpinnings of Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting that we last week finished with the book of Revelation, and we ended with this new earth. And it says in Revelation that they did not need a sun anymore because God himself was the light. And now we come all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And look at the first creation. And the first thing that we notice from that is the fact that God did not only create items, I guess we could say, or substances, basically he created functions. For example, on the first day, he said, let there be light, and light appeared. And, and I think, I, I absolutely believe that anything that you would learn in your physics class about light, how it's a wave and how it can be visible to the human eye and how it has to have a source, I think God created that. But you know what? That wasn't what was important in the Jewish mind. What was important was the fact that God took the light, and rather than casting darkness out forever, he took the light and darkness and put them together. And by doing that, there was light and dark and light and dark and light and dark. And we call that time, day and night. So in the first day, God said, I am the master of time. He didn't just create light. He created light with a purpose, a purpose to delineate between the times of light and the times of darkness, the times of day, the times of night, to keep us moving forward on this continuum that we call time. He went on to create the other parts of the cosmos, as I listed them out just a few moments ago. Every one of them having a function, every one of them having a place, everyone taking up their space, finally, ultimately, with the creation of humanity, men and women designed to work with him in an intimate, intricate relationship. But what's interesting is when you begin reading other places about the creation, other places in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, we realize there was also a... Well, I'm not sure which way the metaphor runs. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like a, a two-part. Because later on in the book of Exodus, when Moses is building the tabernacle, there are words taken in the book of Exodus that are mirrors of what we hear in Genesis about God creating the world. It says that when Moses had finished all the work of his hands, he looked back and he was pleased, and then they rested, and God's presence rested on that tent. Just like when God created an inhabitable world and then filled it, so Moses and the people built the coverings, the walls, the skins that would drape over it, and then filled it with things, and then once that was done, it was finished, and the Shekinah glory of God rested there. We hear in Isaiah that the heavens are God's throne and the earth is his footstool. And we keep hearing those phrases over and over and over again until finally we realize that in one sense of the word, all of the cosmos is basically a temple that God created for himself. 
Now, yes, God created this world for us to inhabit, for us to live, but we are not the end of the story. In a much more important way, God created all of creation to bring glory to himself. And we'll talk about that more in just a few moments. But what we learn from this first chapter and the creation is the fact that God is the actor. We are the recipients. God is not only master of time, he is master of everything in the cosmos, and this becomes his dwelling place. And the tabernacle, and then later the temple, and now we as the body of Christ, the building, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We then become the place where God resides and finds his glory. So then we get to chapter 2. And let, me, let us read again the words that Phil read for us just a couple minutes ago. Genesis chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 3. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them, all their hosts were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Now, I think the best way for us to handle this text is to divide it into what God did, specifically in the passage we just read, what the Israelites did, the Old Testament followers of God did, based on what happened, and then what we should do in today's world. So we're going to start with what God did, what the Israelites did, and then what we should do. And finally, we'll end with the question, what will you do about this passage? Okay? That's where we're going to do it today. So let's start with what God did. God, in this passage, the way I read it, did three things. First of all, he noticed that everything he had made was good, all of the work was completed, all the work of his hands was done. And the first thing God did was he rested. Now, in my Bible study group this morning, our young adult Bible study group, one of the people said, I just don't understand, why did God need to rest? Did he get tired? Does God get tired? Can God be tired? Why would God have to rest? And I said, it all depends on whether you understand what the word is that's used in that passage for rest. There is a word in the Hebrew language for resting after, after being fatigued, to slumber, to rest, to relax, to, to, to regain your strength. That is not the word that is used here. The word that is used in Genesis chapter 2 is the word Shabbat, which is the word that in the noun form is Sabbat, where we get the word Sabbath, okay? Now, when you get to Sabbath, don't get caught up in any of the cultural baggage of the Sabbath, whether it should be on a Friday night or a Saturday night, whether, it should be, whether Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. We're talking about Sabbath as a time of ceasing from what you have been doing in order to reflect on what has happened. That's exactly what the word Shabbat means. It's, I use the example. This is probably not the best example. It's the only one I could think of in a week worth of pondering over this. If you've ever heard your kids nyan-nyan back and forth at each other, if you've ever gotten an argument with your wife, and you're going on and on and on, and you finally say, look, let's give it a rest, okay? Just give it a rest. It means let's just stop, okay? We're not going to get anywhere. There's nothing else we're going to learn by this. Let's just stop. Let's just give it a rest. And that's exactly what the word Shabbat means. Just Shabbat means to cease doing what you've been doing. So you see, this rest that God took was not a rest because he was fatigued or tired. It wasn't even a rest he did to give us the example, although it is an example to us. This rest was about God says, now I have finished everything I had planned to do. My creation, the cosmos, is perfectly crafted in and of itself exactly the way I made it. Now I can sit down and enjoy. My mother still has a picture of my dad 
When my dad retired from the fire department, they had already bought property up in L.J., Georgia, in the North Georgia Mountains. And dad, although he had never built much of anything, I mean, dad knew more about it than I do, but dad was not a builder. But he was the general contractor on their house that they built up in the mountains. And everything from digging the footings and the, and, and the foundation to putting the last piece of furniture in the house, my dad oversaw every bit of that. And when everything was finished, the lights were on, the water was running, all the furniture was there, everything was done. The bird feeder was even up full of bird seed. My dad had his favorite Naugahyde, remember Naugahyde? His favorite Naugahyde recliner chair, and he sat down, and my mother took his picture. He finally, the house was finished, and my dad could rest. That is the rest that we're talking about that God did. God says, I have finished what I needed to do. Now I can sit back and enjoy the creation that I have made. Now, does that mean God stopped working? Of course he didn't stop working. Jesus says in John chapter 5, my father is always working. God is continuing to work to, to maintain and sustain the creation that he has made. He is taking care of it. He is watching over it. But that particular work was done, and so God rested. The second thing he did was he blessed this seventh day. You notice the seventh day is kind of different from the other six. And a lot of reasons. And one thing, we have no direct quote of God on the seventh day. It does say he blessed and he made it holy, but it doesn't have any actual words in quotation marks that God says. But the most important thing about the seventh day is there's one thing that the other six days all have at the very end of them. And there was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But at the seventh day, is there an evening and a morning at the end of the seventh day? There's not. I think that's fascinating. I think it's both literary and theological. It's literary in the sense that they wanted them to understand that once God's work was finished, this, this was done in these six days, and now God could go into this state of just relaxing and enjoying his creation, but it also speaks theologically about the fact that this is something that was supposed to have gone on, and that's why we see in Revelation chapter 21, they don't need the sun anymore to bring light because God is light, and he will be with them, and be their, they will be his people, and he will be their God, and he will dwell with them, and there is no more. See, there is no more night. There is no more need for those things because the work of God will be finished. Finally, it is done, he says, and we go out into eternity. So, he rested and he blessed this seventh day. There's two other times that God blesses prior to this, both of them in chapter one. One time is when he blesses the animals and says, be fruitful and multiply. And then again, he turns to humanity and says, I want, he blessed them so that they could be bountiful and so they could multiply. God's blessing is always tied to fruitfulness. Now, there's a little thing to put down in a note somewhere, and then as you read through your Old Testament, watch how many times God's blessing was designed for them to be fruitful. Sometimes it was biologically fruitful, sometimes it was spiritually fruitful, sometimes it was relationally fruitful, sometimes it was territorially fruitful, but the blessing of God is always related to fruitfulness. Now, listen, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to say it again. The blessing of God is always related to fruitfulness, bounty. So God blessed the seventh day so that it could be fruitful and bountiful. All right, hold on to that. You're going to need to think about that for a few minutes. And not only did he bless it, he made it holy. He set it apart. He said, this day is going to be special. And whether, whether it's a 24-hour day, whether it's an hour we carve out, there's a specialness to the time that we spend, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes, with God in his presence. That's what God did. He rested. He blessed he made holy. 
He rested, he blessed, he made holy. Now, what do the Israelites do? We don't really know how many years from the time of actual creation until the point that Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt by God's hand and brings them through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. But we know about, it was about 1500 B.C., 1600 B.C., when the Israelites left Egypt. So it would have been quite a few centuries between this initial God resting and what we find when we actually get to the Israelites as a people now. How did they live out this idea? Well, we find that in a couple of places. Take your Bible, if you want to stick a note or something there in Genesis 2, and flip over to Exodus chapter 20. This is the famous giving of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, they are at Mount Sinai. They have come out of Egypt. They are gathered together as a people, probably a million plus strong, maybe more than that. And they're preparing to go into the promised land, and God says, okay, I want to lay out some guidelines for you. Some things I want you to understand before you go into this promised land, before you inherit the bounty and the blessing of, of, my, of my grace, I want you to understand some things. And the fourth of the Ten Commandments is found in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. The first thing the Israelites did was they remembered their creator. You see, Sabbath is a concept, not a rule. Sabbath is a principle, not a law. The idea of remembering the Sabbath was the idea of ceasing from the work that you are doing so that you can remember it's not all about you. It's not all about your effort. So the Sabbath was a time when the Israelites would stop what they were doing They would stop thinking about the things that burdened them and they stepped back to recognize the fact that behind all of their efforts, or maybe beneath all theirs, or maybe above all their efforts, I don't know, there was a God who was a creator. And he was the most important. It was not about them and their efforts. And they could get the big picture of what this was all about, what their life was all about, what was going on in their lives. So they remembered, first of all, and worshipped their creator. But not just their creator. Several years later, actually 40 years later, when they're getting ready to go into the promised land after having sinned against God by having the golden calf, by refusing to go in across the Jordan or go into the promised land because they didn't have enough faith. And so God said, you're all going to die out here in the wilderness. So 40 years later now, we have a new generation. In the book of Deuteronomy, they're re-given these commandments. So if you take your Bible and flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, you'll see this retelling of the commandments. And this time there's a little different spin on it. This time it's not just about remembering your creator. There's something else he wants them to remember. I won't read the whole section about the Sabbath because some of it is repetitive. But in verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, well, I'll just go back and read verse 12. Verse 12 says, be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Your labor six days, do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, sound familiar? Your male or female slave, your ox or donkey or any of your livestock or the foreigner who lives with you in your gates so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. But then look what he says in verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God commanded you to keep a Sabbath day. So that you could remember your redemption. 
Remember what God has done for you. Not just what God has done in the cosmos, but what God has done for you, Israel. So the Sabbath day, first of all, was a day for remembering all that God had done in creation and recognize the fact that no matter how hard they worked, just like Daryl and I have talked about before, you can put the best seed in the ground, you can get all the best fertilizer, you can prepare the soil, you can do all that, but you know what? Not a one of us can make it rain. Ultimately, we do all of our work, and we say, now God, it's up to you. And we have to trust him. And boy, don't we try. Don't we try to take things out of God's hands and do it ourselves. But the Israelites understood that they stopped and they remembered God's creation. They also remembered God as their redeemer, the one who saved them out of bondage. 400 years in bondage. Can you just get your mind around 400 years of slavery? And God brought them out and freed them. But not only that, there was the third thing, and that was also to remember the covenant that God had made with them. Flip back one more time if you have time. Otherwise, just write it down to Exodus chapter 31. God says there's another reason why I want you to keep the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 31, if you start in verse 12, in verse 12 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths, for it is a, here you go, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you will know that I am Yahweh who sets you apart. In other words, God says the Sabbath will be a reminder that we have a covenant with each other. We have a bond between us. This is not just about me as a creator of the universe. This is not just even me, just about me as redeemer of the people. This is about the bond I have with you. We have a covenant with one another. We have a pledge to one another. If you jump on down and look at verse 16, he says again, the Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a perpetual what? Covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites. Do you hear what God is saying? He says, listen, I want you to come together every week to remember that I'm in charge of the cosmos, not you. Number two, to remember that I'm the one that redeemed you. You didn't save yourselves. I saved you. And number three, to remember that after saving you, I have a covenant with you so that we can stay bound to one another throughout all your generations. So what should we do? Well, we have a Redeemer that came and made a new covenant with us. His name was Jesus. He came to fulfill the law. He came to be the new creator. He created new life by his death on the cross, dying for us so that we could have life. And so what do we do today? I always am amazed when people will ask me the question about, well, Pastor, do you think that, that we as Christians in this generation and this, this dispensation should, uh, should keep the Sabbath or not? Do we have to keep the Sabbath or not? Are we, should we, are we required to keep the Sabbath or not? And I've got to be honest with you. If you've ever asked me that question, I don't think about anybody specific right now, but if you've ever asked me that question, let me just say to you, or if you've ever thought that question, let me just say to you, if you have to ask that question, you don't understand what Sabbath is all about. You don't understand what it's about. It would be like a couple of years ago, three, four years ago now, I had a, one of our young men, newly, met, newly wed, been married about six months, came to my office, called if he could come and see me after work. Sure. Sat down in that nice little glider rocker of mine with his head in his hands, and he said the four most famous words that every man has ever said who had to have a wife, who was blessed to have a wife. The famous four words, it's hard being married. I said, dude, tell me about it. It's hard being married. 
He said, I wish she would just give me a list of the things I should do in order to make her happy. If she would just give me a list, I could do the things on the list and then we would be fine. But it's like, well, you ought to know. Don't you know what, I, what, what you need to do? Do I have to spell it out for you? Do I have to make a list? Yes, make me a list if I could know. Now listen, we go from humor to seriousness. Do you recognize that throughout the Old Testament, not one time, not one time does God ever tell the people what to do on the Sabbath? Never. He tells them things he does not, does not, he does not want them to do. But every one of those does not things are about things that are to their good. He says, listen, don't worry about working on the Sabbath. I will take care of you. Don't worry about the, these other things. I will, I will watch over you. Don't worry about going out and gathering manna on, when they were in the wilderness on the Sabbath day. I, I will provide for you. Everything that God told them not to do is to provide them with time to spend time with him. But nowhere in the Old Testament does God ever say. And you know why? Because it would have cheapened it. Now let's flip that coin on the other side. What if she had? He asked her to marry him, and she says, oh, I would love to marry you. You're so sweet, and I know you love me, and I love you too. And here's a list of 25 things you can do every day to show me how much you love me. Now here, just take that list and practice from now to the wedding, and we should be fine. That would be artificial. That's not love. Love has got to be a spontaneous thing in a relationship between two people. And so, and so God says, listen, I am giving you this day to do things. So the question is, what do we do with the Sabbath? It's not about should we keep it or not keep it, should we obey it or not obey it. It's about what does Sabbath mean. And the best way I can explain it to you, this is Labor Day weekend. <laughs> about, what is it, three months ago, whatever, third Monday in May, Memorial Day? Third Monday, is that our second Monday? Fourth Monday in May, fourth Monday in May, Memorial Day. Commemorated to remember those who gave their lives in service to our country so we could have the freedom that we enjoy today. All work stops. Everything shuts down, except the mattress sales. Everything else shuts down on Memorial Day. There are no laws about what you have to do. There's no law that you have to go to a parade or you have to go to a service or you have to go to the courthouse. You do whatever you choose. But you know what's interesting to me? The closer you are to someone who gave their lives for our country, the more seriously you take Memorial Day. If you lost a son or a daughter, by golly, Memorial Day is almost like another birthday. You, you, you honor it. You keep it. You've got your flag flying. You shed tears. For a while, they're tears of loss. Maybe some, for some of you, it's always tears of loss. But for others, it's, well, after a while, it's the tears of thankfulness that my son or my daughter was able to give their lives for the freedom that we know today. But you know what? If it's just if you never had it, it's like, yeah, Memorial Day. It's just another day to have a picnic, go out and throw Frisbee with the dog and enjoy the day. The more you understand Memorial Day on a personal level, the more you'll honor it. And the more you understand what God has done for you through your creation and through redemption and through his covenant, the more you will honor. There's only one difference between the two. Memorial Day is so important that we have set aside one day a year to stop and remember. But the Sabbath is so important that we set aside one day a week to remember. Now I ask you, which is more important? This is not about whether you wash your clothes or, not, or whether you mow your lawn or whether you go to Walmart or not. This is not about that at all. It's about an attitude that says, I am going to take this day to, to rest, to cease from what I have been doing, to cease from the things that appear to be from my own hands so I can stop and remember what God has done for me. It's a time to refocus, to see the big picture. And beloved, the big picture 
is not you or me or my family or my nation or my world or even the history of my world. The big picture is God. And the Sabbath is designed to give us time to refocus ourselves, to cleanse our palates, as it were, so that we can understand that it all is about him. You see, God did not create this world so we could have a wonderful, nice place to live. He created this world for himself. He created this world for him to have glory. He did not need us. He did not have to have us. Now, he loves us dearly, but he did not need us in order to be fulfilled. He created us for our benefit. He created us so that he could have a fellowship with us. But we get this idea somehow or another that God would just be, would just be bereft if it wasn't for humanity. I got news for you. God didn't need us before he created us. But once he did, he's loved us with an everlasting love, and he always will. So we rest, we refocus, and we remember the fact that even though now, when the Sabbath is over, we go back to work, we go back to striving, we go back to our own things, we go back to our own lives, and we try in our best of mind to remember And then the next Sabbath comes along and we take a breath and we cease from what we were doing. We spend time thinking about God, dwelling on Him, listening to Him, reconnecting with Him, refocusing on Him, remembering. But we also remember not only that, but we also remember forward, if I can say it that way, to the day when there will be nothing but a Sabbath rest for the people of God, as the book of Hebrews says. When we get into that eternal state, once we leave this life with all of its sin, we move into eternity that we talked about these past few weeks in Revelation, then the Sabbath will go on and we will just dwell in God's presence, enjoying his glory forever and ever. So it is a precursor in a very real and almost mystical way, if I may say that word, in a very real way, when we meet together, we are meeting together with the angels, with those that have gone before us, and with those that gather around the world over this 24-hour span to give their praise and worship to Almighty God and to His Son, Jesus Christ. We are part of a great host of people. I guess the big question is, what will you do about the Sabbath? What will you do? God graced us with this gift God said, I want you to take time to stop what you're doing, to just like I was at the very beginning of creation, to sit back with joy and with a sense of satisfaction and a realization that now that I have finished this work, I can refocus on God and what he has for me. But the question is, how will you respond to that? I want you to understand, This is not about legalism and and keeping certain commands or rules or laws or anything like that. This is about God giving us a wonderful grace gift. He says, I want to be in this relationship with you. I want to build this time with you. I want to give you this opportunity to refocus. Don't worry about work. It'll still be there on Monday morning. Don't worry about those other things. They'll still be there. You take time to focus on me. Let me be first in your life. I said a minute ago that in the Old Testament, there were no rules for what they should or should not do on the Sabbath, or what they should do on the Sabbath. There were rules about what God did not want them to do. And whether you realize this or not, for over six centuries, there was no such thing as worshiping in a synagogue. 
Sabbath worship took place at home. They did not start synagogue worship in the Jewish life until the exile. They got away from the temple. They needed a way to stay together and continue learning God's law. And so they, but there was no rule that they had to come together every Sabbath day. But they had done it, and they saw the benefit of it, so the church adopted that. Our Sabbath, in one sense, becomes today, okay, so that we can take this day to stop what we're doing, think about God, focus on Him, remember His creation, remember how He's our Redeemer through Christ, remember all the things that go into the covenant that we have with Him through salvation. But there's, we gotta, we got to get out of this idea that Christians live by laws and rules. Now, the doctrine of freedom in Christ does not mean that there are no rules. It means there shouldn't have to be any rules. The rules are only there to remind us. What we do, we do out of a heart of love for him. And so the doctrine of Sabbath rest teaches us that there's a time when we are commanded by God to remember him by taking and stopping what we think is so important in our lives so we can get a recalibration of what's most important and seeing him. A time to rest from our work. Not because we're fatigued, although sometimes we are, but just to find that spiritual and emotional rest. And then to remember the promises that he has made to us. Now, all of us need that. Every one of us. Every one of us needs that. But there are some of us for which for whom that or for which that need is the strongest. There are times in our lives when we walk through these night courses, these night shifts, these night watches, times when it seems like everything is dark, that light is nowhere to be found, and in those watches of the night, we wonder if God is going to be there for us. Has He abandoned us? And I want you to know that in those times in your life, whatever it is he may have put on your heart, whatever it is that he may have done to stop your world, as it were, in its tracks, he has given you the gift of a rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. So if you today are in a position where you are in one of those dark watches of the night, I want to invite you to call out to Jesus and let Him bring you rest. Keith Getty and his wife wrote a beautiful song. His wife actually wrote a poem to go with it. about these watches in the night. And as we prepare to close our time together, before you respond, I want you to listen. The words are going to be on the screen so you can engage your eyes as well as your ears. If you want to sing along, you're welcome to. But this is mainly designed for you who are struggling through the watches of the night. You who feel like you are all alone on your path. You who feel like the work will never stop. There will never be a Sabbath rest for you understand that this is a path that God has placed you on. And even though you might not want to be here, this is where you are. Will you listen?
And let this be a prayer for us.